Hope for almost, I've been at New Hope almost 20 years, but 15 years Janet and I have been the senior pastors in ministering. We just had a great joy. It's just good to have a relationship with Donovan. I, I said the first service, my daughter was in his youth group over here when she was growing up because we didn't have a big enough youth group, so we, we sent him over here, and she was tremendously blessed. And then, of course, Pastor Ed, if you haven't heard it before, He's the glue of all the pastors that get together. He's the glue that makes it work and makes it happen, and, and he's just an amazing man. We just pray blessings on him today. It's really hard to know what to do in 30 minutes, and, uh, but I'm going to try my best to communicate a message. What I felt led to do is ask you to ask God to give you some revelation at some point in the service, whether it be a scripture, whether it be a story, that God would give you a revelation of how things could begin to shift and begin to change that you can be a marketplace minister and become and get a revelation that it's not just the pastors, the leaders of the church, but it's all of us together that's going to make a difference. And that's, that's, I mean, it's an understatement, but some way or another, we have to get rid of anything and all the things, the obstacles that are in the way. So I'm going to share a few scriptures and some other things that hopefully will help us begin to walk a new Today will be a new day for you. How's that? I'll say that in Jesus' name. So we're going to just take a look at some of the men in the Bible, and, and we're just going to go through them very quickly. And, and I know I probably should take more time, but I want to get into some practical things that I think will be important. So we look at, in, in the Bible, we see all these men that weren't pastors, they weren't priests, they were just men and women. In this case, we're, we're talking about some men. So the first one is Adam. Everybody knows Adam was in the beginning of the garden. He was a gardener, and yet God used him. And even through failures, God was redemptive as, they, as he walked on with his life. The second one, I believe, is Abraham. It is. He's a CEO. When you talk about and read the scriptures about Abraham, you see that he owned, blood, he owned uh, gold, and he owned silver, and he had great... Um, Livestock. He had a great amount of livestock. So they see him as a CEO who was represented. He was in the community. Uh, they had all these people around him, and yet he was the one who was prospering, even to the place where Lot had to leave because they were prospering so much because of their, their call upon God, I mean, the call of God upon their lives. Then the next one, if you look, you see Moses, and Moses was a prince. Everybody knows that. And from a prince, he became the shepherd of all of Israel. Now, was he cooperative with God in the beginning? Does anybody remember the story? You know, God kind of called him to, be, to take him, lead him out, and he was basically saying, no, I can't even speak. He said, how can I do that? But he had a holy fire a brush that came alive and helped represent the Holy Spirit came and spoke to him, and then he went and he began to take steps toward leading him out and became a shepherd for God. So in the beginning, he was a prince. He had everything. Then he was seven years out in the wilderness because he killed an Egyptian soldier, and then he had to live with that. So when you look at all these people who are successful and they're, they, they take on roles in life, you see all their failures, it really, hopefully that can be an encouragement to you. Hopefully it'll be an encouragement that these guys failed, but yet God, was, they were successful because they came to push on and they didn't let things go up. The next one is, uh, who is next after Moses? Joshua, a military general, unlike some of the generals we have in our army right now that are not making good decisions, I want to say thank God for Joshua, a military general that took over for Moses. And he was one of the two, um, the, 
people that went into the promised land said that we can take this. Him and uh, Caleb and Joshua were those two. But after Moses died, it says in the scriptures there in Joshua that they went in and took the land. And of course, Joshua didn't let all the young guys take the land. He was right at the, the head of the army moving forward. Sometimes we don't want to get involved in things, and yet God wants us to go and wants to take the land for him. And then the last one is David. I believe David is the uh, shepherd king. And uh, that story is just fascinating. So I have to say a little bit about David's little story there. It's similar to what I feel is happening right now in our world today. Goliath, for 40 days, stood up in front of the army of uh, Israel and basically said, you guys are, you're, you're, you're worth nothing. Come out and fight, and whoever wins the fight will win. And the Bible is very clear in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Bible. It says that the men were terrified and were dismayed, and they ran from them. So you can understand that there was a, there was a person. He was nine feet tall. He had all the gear and garb on everything. But once again, that wasn't what it is. It was his voice of defiance. And right now, we're in a world today in the United States of America that there's a voice of defiance against the church, against the Christians, against what we want to do and what we want to establish and what we need to do and establish as we begin to participate and make a difference in that. But we have a Goliath that's breathing at us and saying, no, you know, we can kill babies. No, we can do this. We can, we can impact our, our education system differently than needs to be impacted. And we as Christians have to learn and listen and together in unity, through prayer and intercession and fasting, then we need to begin to put things into work. So David was a shepherd team. He, sh he showed up 40 days in a row. Goliath is, is bidding out these big words. And David came just to bring bread and cheese, by the way. Here's the bread and cheese. So some of you might think, you know, Dwayne, I, I don't even do bread and cheese. But I, what I'm saying is we, he was just doing what he was asked to do, bread and cheese, but it began to change his whole life story. 18 years of age, maybe 19, they're not sure exactly how old he was. He was the youngest son of eight, eight brothers. He had seven brothers, and he was the eighth one. And he was there just to help them. And what he saw was someone who was defying God. And we need to see right now that the world is trying to defy God, and yet God has a plan, and we need to be a part of that plan in Jesus' name. So what did he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the name of our God? That's how he saw everything. So we can seem little, and I like what you did. You, you, we, we're asking for something big, and I'm glad you're going to Texas because that's where I'm from, Fort Worth. I don't know where you guys are from, but I loved it in Texas. But what happened was that he looked at bigger things. They tried to put him into an armor. It didn't work. And all he did was do what God told him to do, is run to the battle, and he was going to win the battle. This is what I feel that God is saying to us. We're in a time of oppression, in a time of feeling depressed and oppressed and all the things that are going on in our world today, we need to stand up, not like we sing today, not be shaken, and we need to begin to hear from God little things that turn into big things in Jesus' name. So, so anyway, I just want to tell quickly about, I don't know, if am I on 14 minutes now or am I, is it pretty close? 
Okay, but you got to yell at me, somebody tell me. So anyway, I just want to share my story a little bit because I think some of you aren't doing what you should be doing because you don't feel that you're adequate or you don't feel that you're called or you don't have the proper gifting or you're missing something. The enemy is always good whispering in our ears and tell us what we're missing, what we're not doing. And that's called condemnation, in case you didn't know, or it could be called shame. And that's a trick of the enemy that comes at us. Yet I know that God has called us to be victorious. And if I went around the room and took the mic, each and every one would say, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to be victorious, in, and I want to impact the kingdom of God on this earth. And so let's I tell my testimony really quick because I think it's the best testimony about doing God's work whether you're in the world or whether you're in the church. So at 16, I was called to the ministry. I started preaching. At 19, I, at 18, I went, I went, at 17, I went to college. I was checking out Bible schools, and I said in the first tape this morning, and I sat down later and said, I should have said this. I didn't go to Bible school then, but I did go to Bible school later. So I, I, it was a different story. But I was thinking if I'm going to be in the ministry, I've got to be in Bible school, and I've got to get equipped. But I went through there. I didn't feel God wanted me to. He said, go back to your local college. The local college, at that time I was in Russellville, Arkansas. Anybody ever heard of that? No, nobody's heard of Russellville, Arkansas. So reality is, is that I went there, and I went from Fort Worth to Russellville. So I went from a huge megaplex to a small country town. And so we went there. It was a college of 2000. When I got on campus, there was this crazy guy that had a big cross around his neck, he had a big black Bible in his arm, and every class he went to, he carried this, and he would tell people, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So this is what was going on. They continued to say, Jesus loves you. And what went on and on and on is Jesus loves you. And here I am, a church guy, thinking I need to be do making a difference. I really do love the Lord. I'm preaching now, and I'm doing ministry out in the community because we we're from a big church, so all the little churches want us to come and speak and sing. Believe it or not, I sang. <laughs> we had a quartet. Everybody says, what's a quartet? Well, that was back in my day. Sorry. But long story short is I was doing everything I thought I should be doing, and I'm, I'm sharing that story because I think many of you are doing everything you know to do. But I'm telling you, there's more. And it's not going to be negative. It's not going to be bad. It's not going to be grilling. It's, going to be, it's really going to be easy because he's going to make a way where there is not a way. So reality happened is I saw this guy. I met him. I said, I got to find out what's going on inside this guy's head. He said, you know, Dwayne, I was at, I was at Bible school last year, and it turns out he was at the Bible school that I went to to pray about going to. He said that the Bible school was colder than it is on this campus for Jesus. I thought, well, I heard something right. Thank you, Lord, for that. So anyway, we began to meet the two of us. Then we, 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 got, we started getting people saved. Druggies were getting saved. This is in 1970, 71, just to give you an idea for most of you weren't even born. Well, there were got a few. Anyway, we won't, we won't talk about that, though. So we started meeting. There was three. There was 10. There was 20. There was 30. There was 50. There was 100. There was ended up 200 people would meet on campus every Thursday night in this upper room. So we called it the upper room. And what happened is we just didn't keep it to ourselves. All these people from all over the state of Arkansas at the time, and they wanted us to go back to their church to tell them what they had learned. And so we began to go, 30 to 40 of us would go out every weekend 
excuse me, once a month on a weekend to these different churches. And we would speak in four or five churches, and we'd do outreach in the, in the streets, and uh, we just had an amazing time. And that's when everybody began to realize they can be a minister without being a pastor. They can, be, they can lead worship without this and then this and that. So it was very opening to me what God was actually doing. So then for the next three years after I graduated college, 73, I went out and did ministry in the streets with drunks and alcoholics and, and druggies and, and girls were, have, were pregnant. And we just had an amazing time of God working miracle after miracle and after miracle because of the supernatural. Not because of us, but because we went and God showed up. All we had to do was go and God would show up. And you, even when we're going, we're thinking, well, what if God doesn't show up? You know what I mean? That's the thoughts that come to us. But it's okay because God says go. And he says go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. So we have to go, and that's what we were doing. Three years into doing that, I met a young lady named Janet, who you've already heard. I've been married to for 44 years. We're exactly opposite. I just want to encourage. I'm not supposed to be talking about marriages today. But I'm, I just want to remind you that we're completely opposite, yet we're perfect for each other. And it's been an easy 44 years for me. I don't, I don't know if Janet would say the same. So, but that's okay. She still loves me, and, and we're going strong for Jesus. So long story short is I met her, fell in love, and went to ask her dad and mom, who were not Christians, if I, could, if I would get their blessing. And they both said no. <laughs> the, the mom said, I'll never say yes. I just want you to know that, young man, because they thought I was taking their, their daughter away from them. Uh, the dad didn't say that. He just said, well, how are you going to provide for her? I said, well, that's a good question, but you don't need to worry about that. God will provide. God will provide. That wasn't a good answer, by the way. And uh, he says, well, I am concerned because of your attitude about why are you mowing grass on a golf course if you got a college education? And my answer was very simple. Well, I'm just working so I can do ministry. He says, that's why I'm worried. you got a college education. What are you doing with your life? So I had to go leave West Virginia. That's where we were at doing ministry. I'd been ministering in Texas, Arkansas, Wisconsin, Indiana, and we ended up in Ohio and West Virginia doing ministry. We just followed the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Three years of your life just following Jesus. What do you, what do you want me to do tomorrow? You know, and we would go. We'd always work, and we'd always do ministry. So we were always doing ministry and working. We never was doing full-time. No one paid us to do what we were doing. So it was always in my blood that that's what's supposed to happen. So I'll make a long story very short. I went back. I bought three acres of land. I built a house. I bought her a car. I already had a truck for myself. And so I was able to show him that I was going to provide for her. And he said yes. And the mom said yes. And we got married. But the thing is, is that we were just following Jesus. So here I am now back working construction because why? My dad's a builder developer. Does that make sense? Well, you're a builder developer now. Does that make sense? Yeah. My dad was a builder developer and he quit. He was a CPA doing CPA work and he quit that and went out on a limb to start a construction company. And I saw that it was successful and we could do the same thing. So we were working construction, but still doing ministry. We were still involved in the church. We we're being very successful in reaching people because it was in my blood to help and serve in that capacity. And then I'm going to shorten this up, but 
Long story short is I went back and got my master's in psychology. I felt God wanted me to make an impact into the world by, through counseling. So I just was in heaven when I graduated, and I got a job. And for three and a half years, I did therapy with Christians and with non-Christians. And both of them, I could, I could share principles of the kingdom that would change their lives because I used biblical words, but I didn't say Jesus or God. I just, but if they started talking about Jesus or God, oh, I would start talking to them and we began to see a change. But then the Lord knocked on the door and asked me to be, at this point, I didn't think I'd ever be in full-time ministry the way that we know full-time ministry is, the way that Jonathan and others are full-time. I never thought it would be, but yet this church asked me from Texas in Fort Worth, and they asked me to become a part of their staff, a youth pastor. I'm 31 years old, almost 32. You don't ask people at 31, 32 to be your youth pastor, but they did. But it turns out, just a short story, is that this is my grandfather's church as a child. I was raised there. So that's the only reason I was interested, because of generational blessing. And so I went there and became the youth pastor. The church was about 1,200 when I went there. That was in 82, so 1,200 is not a lot of people. Today's churches, but it was back then. And when I left 10 years later, it was over 2,000 people at the church. So we had great time learning about what full-time ministry is. And then we came back to Arkansas, I mean, to Hawaii, and we began to do building again. And then I'm a builder. And then two and a half years, I was here four years doing building. And then two and a half years, I go to Oregon because they asked me to be the pastor. And every time they call me and ask me to come be a pastor in Oregon, I said, no. I said, well, you pray about it. I said, no. I don't, I don't feel led to go to Oregon. This is a church I preached at, you know, like seven years in a row for my friend who was the pastor at the time. So I'm just trying to tell you, I, I didn't feel led to go back into full time. But guess what? I ended up there for two and a half years. I raised up two pastors to take over. And now the church is doing so well, so well. But I came back here again. And a pastor asked me, will you, will you take over Foursquare Church, New Hope? I said, no. I said, I won't. I said, I'm done. I just want to do ministry in, in the secular world. I want to make a difference. And so what happened was I began, he, he said, well, would you even pray about it? And I told him the same thing I told the other people. No, I'm not praying about it. But listen, I'll go help you, and I'll walk with you, and I'll encourage you and help you build the church. So we began to build it. About two years later, he says, I'm leaving. He said, you've got to take it over. I said, no. I'm not taking it over. He says, so we went out and looked for pastors, but we found three came in, but none of them fit. And so I said, I was dumb enough to say, I'll do it until we find somebody. That was 15 years ago, just so you know. So here, I'm, as most of you know, I'm not leading a big, a little company. You know, we built over a thousand homes before 2008. Now we've been, we built this church, we built Hope Chapel's church, we built Valley Isle Church, we we helped the Lahaina Christian. We built a church building for Pastor Morocco in, in Honolulu and in here, Doris Todd Christian School. We have been called to help, to serve, and to give in the capacity. And to me, that ministry is just as strong as someone standing up in the pulpit and preaching a message. So I just want to encourage you that that's exactly what God is wanting to do. All the, the boards I sit on that Lance says is too large to read is those are opportunities for me to minister. I'm rubbing shoulders with key leaders in Maui, with politicians. The MEDB board, which is Maui Economic Development Board, is one of the most 
important boards there is for the economy. And I sit on that board, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm amazed all the time. Lord, how did you do this? How did you put me here? But the reason is because they're an influencer in education. They're making a difference with robotics in education. So I wanted to be a part of making a difference in, the, in, in that. Boy, I can't do it. I got two minutes and 11 seconds, but they said I can go for more. So can we go to my slide real quick? I want to read a scripture. This is a very obscure scripture. It's not one that you read regularly. This is actually came out of my devotional about one or two weeks ago. It just simply says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So if I ask you the question, do you want wisdom? Do you want wisdom? Would you want wisdom? Would you want wisdom? What would be your answer? And the answer would be yes. So all we have to do is read the Bible, and it says, and he who wins souls is wise. So he's just saying, I'll give you the wisdom that's necessary to win souls by doing what you do good. You don't have to go do something you don't want to do. You can do what you like to do, and you're going to become wise, and you're going to be able to win it. But I love the picture word there. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It's not a little fruit here or fruit there. It's a tree of life. So our life is a life. And people know you from when you were young to when you were middle-aged to the end. They know when you made mistakes. They know things, but yet they see a tree of life that can bring life to our world. And if they don't, then we just say, God, we can get guilty or we can feel condemned. We can do shame. We can do all that. Or we can say, Lord, please forgive me. Let me move on and make a difference. Just like David, he had problems. Just like Adam had problems. They all had problems, yet God redeemed it, and that's what's important. The second part of that is just simply that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So let our life be a tree of life that we're influencing people. Instead of me turning around every time, I'm going to just put it, open up my iPad, just let you guys know. It'll be easier for me. The second passage is from Romans 12, 6 through 8. So when God asks you to do something, guess what? He's already equipped you. Now, if you look at this passage, this is what we call the motivational gifts. These are gifts that are given to you when you're born. So it's not gifts that God gives you later. You're born with these gifts. And so it just simply says, we have different gifts. Aren't you glad? We have different. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to what? His faith. Some of you may be called to prophesy, but you've never started prophesying because your faith has lacked. And you know, some people say, well, who do you think the prophetic people are? I said, in the natural, it's the people who are critical and judgmental. So I know each and one of you have neighbors that are judgmental or critical, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Or it might be you also. If you're judgmental or critical, there's a good chance you're prophetic. But you're using the prophetic with the natural mind saying, well, that blankety-blank person, look, blah, 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 you know, they're, they're so that, you know, they're so arrogant. They're so, we're judging them. But we're seeing something. But instead of seeing through God's eyes, you know, that person is judgmental or that person is arrogant. But I wonder what the root is behind that. And what does God want to do to change that out? So maybe your goal, maybe your ministry in the world, in this labor force or whatever, is just to help that one person get better. 
You see, it, we're always looking at the big picture, but we have to look at the little and the big. And I prefer the big, but sometimes God gives us the little. Hurry up, Dwayne. If it's serving, let him serve. Is there anybody here that can't serve? I'm, don't raise your hand. Is there anybody here that can't serve, that doesn't know how to serve, that would serve? Because God's called us in the Bible to be a servant to all, right? If it's encouraging, let him encourage. How hard is it to encourage someone? Hey, I love your dress. Hey, your hair looks nice. You know, you know hey, can you do this with me? I, I think that you would be good at it. We can encourage, right? This is what God, these are the gifts from Romans that talks about it. Let's, if you can teach, I can't speak. You know, well, that's fine. But can you teach children? Because they may go back to you. So there's something that we can get involved in. If it's encouraging, let him encourage you. If it's contributing, how hard is it to pull money out of your wallet? How hard is it to write a check? How, how hard is it to give someone, shake their hand at the end of the service and say, Bless you. I know that God's watching after you. And you give them $50. You give them a $100 bill. How hard is it to do these small little things? If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You know, we have so many mercy people. They want to help everybody. And so sometimes we need to help them not help everybody because they get too helpful and and they get burnt out and all these other reasons. But I don't think there's that many people burned out for mercy. But do you see what I'm saying? Doing God's calling, God's gifting, doesn't require too much. Now, why do we want to do this gifting? Seven mountains of influence. Does it come up this time? Yeah, we got it this time. Seven mountains of influence. This came from uh, Lauren Cunningham with YWAM and Bill Bright with, uh, who is he with? That's a, that's a what's that? Campus Crusade. Thank you. So we, we have an answer here. He was discerning. So these two got this vision in the same time. Guess what year? 1975. Both of them got this vision, and it's seven mountains of influence. Let's, let's work on reaching business. Let's reach education. Let's reach government. Let's reach family, media, arts, entertainment, church. Church shouldn't be very difficult. You should all be impacting the church, it's, that's easy, okay? Family is more difficult because you're with them every day. <laughs> church is family that you're with once a week or maybe twice. But it's harder with family, but God has called us to be leaders in our family. In government, government's difficult to get involved in, but if you, if you begin to sit on boards and you begin to do things of this nature, all of a sudden you have influence, and that's what God does. The media, I, I've never been involved in the media much, but especially you young people, you've got social media that you can impact by writing things and not being weird. Uh, arts and entertainment, I've never been involved much. I've supported a couple of Christian actors, actresses, and it's very difficult for them to make a move in Hollywood. It's very, very hard. It's a difficult thing, but they have been successful, so it can be done, but we can also pray for them. And then I think family, we already said that. So these are the mountains that we're trying to influence. You don't have to take them all seven of them. I only, I only work in five of them. You can work in three. You can work in two. You can work in one or you can work in none. You can work in one or none or you can let the light of the sun shine in you so you can have fun. I'm just trying to think of words that rhyme, you know. 
So you can have fun doing one or more as you lead from God. So let's close. But it's a long one. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of ministry so that the body of Christ may built up, be built, built up. How many of you know that the body of Christ needs to be built up? It does need to be built up. Who is supposed to build them up? Okay, who is we? It says pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and uh, prophetic, prophecy people. Is that the prophecy people on staff here, or is that all of us to be pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostolic? Can you have more than one? Can you be a teacher and a pastor, but you're not on staff, but you're heading up a home group, and someone else can host it because you don't like to host? Let them, the people like to host. They have the hospitality do that. You do what you do, which is teach. So anyway, I got 10% battery remaining now, so we're really in bad shape. <laughs> Pastor Eddie asked me to tell, so put someone on the screen, Sam Peralta. How many people know Sam Peralta? There's about three or four. Sam, I met in Australia eight years ago. I was on a mission trip to Newcastle. He was there with YWAM, and then after he came back to Maui where he lived, he joined our church. He was the first person we put on staff. You know why? Not because he was a good preacher, not because he was a good teacher, not because he was a good anything, but he was an evangelist. And we wanted our church to say, we're going to go into all the world. We're going to go into Jerusalem. We're going to go into Judea. We're going to go into Samaria. We're going to go. And that's when he began. He began to influence the schools. Because why? We're supposed to do the seven mountains of schools. We're supposed to be involved in government. We're supposed to be involved in these things. So he began to do it, and we began to... Uh, the YWAM team would come in for their three-month thing, and they would go and help. We'd have 20 YWAMers at a school helping run recesses for the teachers. You think that made them happy? They didn't have to do recess because it's hard. It's energetic. You've got to do a lot of work. So he started doing that. Then he got on college campus because I, I said, I really think we're supposed to impact our college. Now, he's not a college graduate. So he's out there talking to people going to college, we, we gave them, we, that's the key was donuts. We put donuts out there and, and, and coffee. And I think it was good coffee. What's uh, Starbucks? I don't drink coffee, so I forget. Starbucks coffee. So all these students started coming, and he'd have a question of the day. And then they would answer, they would, they would answer the question, and that would open up a dialogue and an opportunity to prophesy, to give, because we'd find out they were in need, so we would hand them and give them money right there on the spot. We were beginning to do ministry out of our hearts. It's so easy, but we forget because we're so busy. We're so busy. We're so busy. Anyway, he's now, after two years, he decided to go to college. And so he got his associate degree, and he's about four classes away from finishing his, 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 his uh, bachelor's. But what happened three years ago? He, be, he became on student government. And now he's the president of student government the last three years. He interfaces with the chancellor of the college. Now, how did that happen by just going out and giving people donuts? You see, this is how big God is. This is what God will do. So now I'm in my final closing. It's another abstract scripture, Luke 1, 74 through 75. And the reason I love this is because this is Zacharias son of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what we find in verse, chapter 1, verse 18, 
is that Zacharias is visited by Gabriel, an angel. Now, if an angel visited you, would you listen to him? Would you do what they said? Or would you at least entertain it for a little while? And here he says, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. And here's, he's a priest, by the way. He says, uh, the, how, 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 how can I be sure of this? And Gabriel said, you're going to be silent until the baby is born. So for nine months plus, he didn't speak. But I promise you, he listened because God was in it. So here's a man who had doubt and fear of not what was spoken to him to happen. Church, often we have fear or frustration or feelings that something's not going to work. All the time we do that, but we cannot let it overpower, rule us, and ruin us in Jesus' name. So what, here's what Zachariah says. He, he wrote a song. The song was telling him how, what John was going to do, and this is at the very end. He says, and John is here to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Enable us to serve him without fear, without fear. Say it with me, without fear. Say it again, without fear. Without fear, God has called us to serve him. And in the first scripture, we're going to get wise because we're going to win the loss. But we're not going to win the loss by saying, hey, do you know Jesus coming? Would you take Jesus into your heart? No, we're just going to be encouragers. We're just going to be givers. We're going to bring chocolate pie over to our neighbors. And we're going to say, hey, I just thought about you guys today. And, is there, and, you, and, and when you're leaving, you can say something like, of course, you got to be careful about COVID, how much they're invested in that. you got to stay six feet apart, except when you're handing it. You can, or you could just leave it there and then walk away. But anyway, I don't know. I just think about all these things because some people, you might be thinking you're helping them and you're not helping them, so we got to do what's right. But where are we at? Without fear. <laughs> I just want to see. Enables to serve him without fear. As I said in the first service, I read the Bible through the New Testament twice in one year. I read the Old Testament through once every year. It's just my devotional guide that I follow. And I love it. I love it. And, and I didn't used to love it. I change devotionals every year or every other year. I've been with this about 12 years. I just love it. It's just studying the Word. It's just amazing. Uh-oh. It went off. Thank you, Jesus. That's a sign. Who's praying out there for me to close? <laughs> so, we, but we have the, we have the upstairs. Let's, let's go to the next slide. Oh, that's the next one. C.S. Lewis. Don't you love C.S. Lewis? God whispers to us in our pleasures. And we all like to do our pleasures. Speaks in our conscience. But a lot of times we're in pain. You don't have to say amen. I know that you're in a lot of pain because of relationships, because of communication, because of finances, because children, because you're concerned about your children, because your children are concerned about you. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that get in there. But it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God brings us through pain a lot of times. He speaks to us in our pleasure so that we can rouse our world and be a part of the marketplace, or what I kept hearing was be a part of our neighborhood. Instead of driving into your garage and shutting the door, you push the button, and it shuts everybody out. 
We've got to get the dogs. We've got to do something. We've got to go out walking. We've got to get to know our neighbors. We've got to begin to be a blessing to them. So, Father, thank you. I think the worship team is supposed to come up at this time. So, Father, thank you that you really can give us an encouraging word like today. Lord, that there's so many things to do, but sometimes we just don't feel gifted to do them. But today, Lord, we learned some simple things we could do. We can give, we can serve, we can love, we can do all these things, and then we can start doing some what seems to be more difficult, teaching or, or, or pastoring, Lord, or, or doing evangelistic work, Lord Jesus. We don't have to do it all at one time. We can take it little by little. And, Father, we learn especially today that we can do ministry without fear, ministry without fear, ministry without fear. So right now, Lord, I just want to cut off all the lies over each and every person, each and every family here, that, Lord, you would cut off fear, frustration, rejection, Lord, lack of faith, Lord. I'm just praying for a little childlike faith. I pray for a little childlike faith. I pray that some seeds of faith, small seeds, Lord, mustard seeds into the hearts of each and every person so they might begin to grow in you, Jesus. And, Father, I pray that each and every one of us will see a bigger picture that we're part of a ministry team together. In Jesus' name, amen.